Hey everyone, welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about the Alaska Triangle, the Dark Pyramid, and what author Joseph Farrell refers to as the Grid of the Gods. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. How's it going, man? Really good. I'm glad we're doing this topic, too, because this is your baby. I know that like <laughs> that was your biggest Reddit post. Then my uh, recollection, I think that was like one of the most shared Reddit posts you ever made back yeah, in the day. It's a weird one. I, uh, I really find this really interesting. And as crazy as it is, the underground Alaskan pyramid is, um, I don't know, it's something I've researched, even though it's really hard to find anything to corroborate anything around it really but um i love the story and the idea of something underground that's suppressing consciousness and i don't know we'll get into it it's gonna be fun and uh pretty weird so first i kind of wanted to get into recent events it was actually right after we published our last episode that the news came out from our friend uh, matt ford over at the good trouble show uh reported that there was uh some sort of shadow advisory board that Sean Kirkpatrick of, you know, the head of Arrow had um, certain people who were involved in these legacy programs that were advising him on UFO stuff, which seems like quite the conflict of interest, at least in terms of being transparent. You know, obviously these people on these programs don't want any information out, uh, which seems pretty clear. And the fact that the head of Arrow is using them as some sort of, you know, advisory group seems kind of fucked up, honestly. And, uh, you know, the fact that he pretends to act like he wants to be any sort of, um, you know, transparent with the American people, having having that kind of thing go on in the background doesn't seem like he's being straightforward. Yeah, he's the J. Allen Hynek of 2023. Yeah. You know, he that's our blue book. And I've I've really kind of hesitated to just like make that comparison with blue book. But at this point, I don't know what else to do. The thing is, is like we keep circling back to this being a transparency issue. Like, you know, I don't think Kirkpatrick is the one making the call to cover this subject up. That's the way I think about it. I know other people disagree with that or agree more. But like, that's kind of where I fall on this is like, I don't think he's the one deciding himself whether this topic is kept secret i think this is probably like a responsibility that like for whatever weird reason that we don't even get to know about it has to be a secret and it's his job to make sure it stays a secret that's how i see that guy i don't know just the way he acts is so infuriating <laughs> yeah like i want to believe that but he just seems so dismissive that i just like uh makes it hard to believe that obviously there are people above him that are you know much more powerful and uh instrumental in keeping the secret and he's just kind of a pawn uh which makes sense but it seems i don't think he like minds playing that role uh just from the way he acts but uh i could be wrong maybe he wants to tell us more and he can't but um the way he goes about talking to the press like that cnn article just the way he conducts himself makes it seem like he's he's totally fine with you know, what people are telling him to do and, and how to act. And he doesn't mind it. That's an interesting way to look at. I think that uh, it's hard to speculate on these people's truthfulness when like we really don't, I feel like collectively know the true nature of what this phenomena is. The thing that gets me is like, 
the little program that Elizondo was in charge of, that ATIP program, it's Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. And that, to me, tells us everything we need to know about, like, the conflict between Elizondo and the DOD. You know what I mean? And the conflict between, like, uh, what we consider this topic. I feel like there's one camp that, like, wants to act like it doesn't exist. And there's another camp that wants to understand this phenomena, acknowledge that it's real. So we're not, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm going down a weird path thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying and where you're going. I, I I think it's about the DOD wants to act like they have this under control. And, you know, Elizondo coming out and st stating that they don't and that this is something that is, you know, a national security issue in a way that like we can't have it be so compartmentalized because we're having trouble trying to, you know, figure out what this actually is. We need more people involved. We need, you know, outside scientists, uh, academia involved, you know, in ways that in ways that we can open the aperture of people who can look at this without jeopardizing national security. I think that's kind of a, the reason Elizondo came out is that the uh, stovepiping on this has really limited our ability to understand it. So I keep hearing that term stovepiping. What I understand stovepiping to be is like when the FBI wants to study UFOs for some reason or a part of a story about a UFO or an or interview somebody who was like someone who saw a UFO. If then they have that information for whatever that investigation, whatever the results yielded there were, and they just kind of lock it away. And other parts of the government don't really get to see it or parts of academia don't get to see it. And then that happens. It's not just like, and I'm saying that erroneously. I don't know if the FBI is, I know <laughs> that they've, they've looked into cattle mutilations, for example. Um, if I'm being like specific with the FBI, I know that like, that's something that's like pretty cut and dry on the record is they've looked at that and examined it, but like, that's just them. We don't know if there's been like the CIA. We, I mean, we don't know. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? But like yeah. the CIA for sure has looked into UFOs. Um, I think we understand that because of the Robertson panel. I believe that was like in the 50s, the CIA's panel that was going to give their two cents on like what they understood the UFOs to be. Um, and we could do a whole episode about the Robertson panel because that had its own critiques and like it's a very long winding road the history of this subject and like the stovepiping imagine like all these different subjects that we've discussed and like a million different not a million but like you could you would need more than your two hands to count on how many government agencies have probably examined ufos or the paranormal or psychic ability and uh that information get stovepiped, which means they don't get to share it with each other. Imagine how much money and resources are wasted repeating yep. things that have already been studied, you know, and imagine how many like frustrated people have like tried to say something. And the, just because of the structure of this, it's like, I feel like it's way easier if you're withholding information like that, in terms of like classified or not classified, it makes it so much easier for secrets to exist because you're just constantly declaring everything you do top secret 
we're I don't know if people understand this, but like more than ever, like our government declares millions, millions and millions of documents every year, top secret. And the number builds and builds. Yeah, I think that I think the best um kind of comparison or like definition for stovepiping is like the Manhattan Project. Yeah. They had people working on, you know, different aspects of of the atomic bomb you know they would never know what they were working on was going up to this you know bigger project i guess um so everyone was kind of working in their own little yeah stovepipe and had no idea that there were so many other people working on different aspects of it and there were like 12 people at the top who you know only 12 people who knew you know what was going on like the overview of of the actual project so that, I think that's the best definition of stovepiping. And yeah, it's hard to get anything done, especially if there's no one at the top or or there's no one overseeing it that, that can provide any accountability. So I think that's kind of the main issue right now. The other thing I wanted to kind of address is just, yeah, the Hayden Center is hosting an event with Sean Kirkpatrick and Shane Harris, who happens to be the journalist who turned down uh, the David Grush story. They're, they're holding this two days before uh, the Soul Foundation's uh, first inaugural symposium. Uh, the Soul Foundation, for those who don't know, is Gary Nolan's new UAP initiative at Stanford. That they're 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 holding the um, symposium at Stanford. The fact that Sean Kirkpatrick and that journalist Shane Harris, <laughs> who all of a sudden you know hosting this event two days before that that's happening is is kind of suspicious at least with the timing because Kirkpatrick doesn't do any of these fucking events you know and he just happens to pop up in one with this one journalist two days before Gary Nolan's thing I can't see it as anything other than trying to redirect or kind of take away from the the news cycle but you know honestly like it's it's Sean Kirkpatrick and Gary Nolan's lineup is like fucking home run hitters you know it's just it's all stars on uh on the soul foundation lineup so i'm not too worried about it i just thought it was an interesting timing issue where um where kirkpatrick pops up two days before yeah watching him try to respond to anyone in this area making moves in that direction is like watching a guy in a little john boat with holes all over it trying to plug all the holes yeah and right now i feel like kirkpatrick is running out of plugs you know what I'm saying? Like he is, I don't know, the timing of this, it feels like uh, the thing that makes me kind of calm about it is I keep hearing positive things about this Schumer legislation. I actually wanted to ask you about that of like, what is the standing? Uh, I know a lot of these things were like kind of up in the air, but like, do you know a lot about that particular topic? like what Schumer has introduced and what like protections are going to be offered. Should it be like put into place? It sounds like it's likely going to pass. Uh, I think Ross Colthart said that last week he was, he was pretty positive that, you know, the major aspects of it are going to be voted on and be signed by the president. So that in itself is good. I think there were some hangups uh, with the eminent domain aspect of it. Um, so if they can get that kind of tied up, I think I think it's going to be, you know, fine as it is going forward. And um, 
I think that's also a major aspect of this legislation is to remove those stovepipes um, because they're going to be getting documents from pretty much every single agency uh, that has this stuff stovepiped. So bringing all that from from each different agency all into one review board and uh, getting that stuff classified, I think, is a pretty good start to trying to you know get at least some of this information out to the public. I think it's a, a positive thing and I think it's a start. I don't think it's like the end of what's going to be happening because or else you wouldn't have foundations like the Soul Foundation popping up trying to help, you know, provide assistance to the government with their study of the UFO subject. Yeah, it's just uh, the beginning of a kind of long process that's been <laughs> that's been going on since, you know, 2017 and and people are really really impatient and uh, I get that, but uh, this kind of thing takes a while. And um, unfortunately, that's that's where we're at. One of the things that was really cool about when Tom DeLong made To the Stars, and this is a reason why, like, because, like, if you ask someone, like, hey, are you into UFOs? I feel like that's something that's, like, immediately, culturally, people feel a certain way about. <laughs> are and, you uh, a ufologist? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh... I hate, and I, I'm in my head, I'm like, I don't ever hope someone calls me a ufologist. Like, I think that's, like, <laughs> whack. I thought that South Park made fun of that shit hilariously when they did ancient aliens and they showed the guys that were like, it would be like, <laughs> I, I don't even know, there's some goofy name and then under it as their qualify, qualifier to be a ufologist on ancient aliens, it would say like head of the culinary Institute <laughs> of Reno, Nevada. And you're like, the <laughs> fuck it's all just these random ass things because like, you can't be an expert in this shit yet. We haven't, you know, so yeah. I feel like in there, calling someone a ufologist or claiming to be one, in my opinion, to each their own, but I think that's kind of whack. Like, I don't want to be a fucking ufologist, and nor do I consider myself one. I think that the people that are um, doing that, I've just noticed the trend that they're like, always, I don't know. I don't know how to describe because I hate to paint with a broad brush. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. Like, uh, I think in order for us to really, like, think about this topic really seriously, for someone like me, who's a dummy, to call myself a <laughs> ufologist, like, that's some qualifier. Meanwhile, Jacques Vallée and John Alexander have PhDs and have been studying this boots on the ground for years and years, like, those guys, I don't even want to call ufologists. They're scientists, you know? And well, that's, that's the like... issue is like, and that's where I think we want to get is, um, is with, with transparency, you know, if, if everyone is, is educated on the subject and it's, there's more transparency, you know, if everyone's a ufologist, no one's a ufologist kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think that's what Tom DeLong was wise to yeah. when he made to the stars was he was like, fuck stovepipes. I'm fucking grabbing how put off like he has a PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford. I know that that's how put off. And he was like NSA and he was like part of these psychic research programs. Did I mention Jim Semivan? No, no. OK, so Jim Semivan, he's CIA. And so we have a CIA guy, an NSA guy in how put off. I thought that was one of the key things that like made Tom DeLong someone who I was like, okay, he kind of understands how this machine functions. All of these guys have different takes on the phenomenon. 
not completely polar opposite different, obviously, but like they were exposed to different information in their careers. Steve Justice is another one of them that we mentioned in a previous episode. He was the head of Lockheed Martin Skunk Works uh, uh, engineering or some like he had a very high position at Lockheed. I know that. And he like he just director to, like, of all... special programs or something. Fuck. Could you imagine being the fuck? Anyway, so <laughs> he, he's like. Because like you saw excited Tom DeLonge was when he was on Joe Rogan. Right. And he's like, he's like, dude, have you even looked at the website and seen our team? And like, Joe's like, not really. No, I don't tell me about it. And uh, I feel like Tom didn't do these people justice. He just kept saying they're so smart. These people are so smart. But like, he's not fucking around. Like these people are really smart. How put off that we mentioned Jim Semivan, Steve Justice, Luis Elizondo. Christopher Mellon, Gary Nolan. Um, and those are all the names that like, I would say people really like would know, you know, like people have pr- are pretty familiar with those names and we talk about them on this. And then like past them, there were four more on that team. And it was a guy named Dr. Paul Rapp, who was a brain function and consciousness consultant, professor, PhD, Cambridge University. Another guy, Dr. Norm Kahn, National Security Program Management Consultant over 30-year career. Really What's interesting it? guy, Norm Kahn. Norm Kahn, yeah. Dude, everything that I would read about all these people was, like, sick. Like, they were all really interesting people. Um, Colm Kelleher, PhD in biochemistry, University of Dublin, Trinity College, over 40 peer-reviewed scientific articles in cell and molecular biology, immunology, and virology. And then there was one more, Dr. Adele Gilpin biomedical researcher and attorney phd temple university i don't like you get what i'm saying that's yeah, that's what i'm saying com- compared to what ancient aliens shows you as the <laughs> quote-unquote ufologist which is like in yeah. my opinion really hurting teams like to the stars effort and yeah. uh yeah and, and all, I hear all people my, can do is bitch yeah. about it you know it's yes uh, yes we're done with kirkpatrick for now and the all that shit because it's nothing but frustration at this point. But um, speaking of to the stars, part of Monsters of California that I t- totally didn't realize until, I don't know, last week for some reason. But there's a scene, it's, you know, split second where towards the end of the movie, I don't, I don't know who it is, but someone hands the main character a, a piece of paper with coordinates on it. Yeah, for some reason, I didn't fucking pay attention to, to that one <laughs> out of all of them. Like, that's like, oh, uh, most obvious fucking Easter egg in the whole whole movie. But uh, the coordinates turned out to be the location of something that I had researched a shitload in the past and looked at fucking Google Maps for hours and hours uh, trying to trying to figure out certain things about it. And it was the coordinates for um, what's been called the Dark Pyramid or the Underground Pyramid in Alaska. And that's something that Linda Moulton Howe talked about first back in 2012 and then tom kind of brought it up again i think a couple years ago in an interview on the pure pleasure podcast so i I had kind of like brought it up every once in a while in the past couple years but hadn't really thought about it but the fact that he put it in his movie as one of those easter eggs like i thought it was originally kind of an off-the-cuff thing he had said in an interview but the, yeah, the fact that he put it in his movie made me kind of rethink it and um, kind of dive into it a little deeper. 
And I did find some very interesting stuff that I don't think anyone else has found that I kind of want to go over. If you want to go over what Linda Moulton Howe's original reporting on this was, uh, I think that's a good place to start. Fuck yeah, let's do it. So it's, it's, <laughs> this is fucking nuts. Like this is like yeah. one of the craziest things. So I just want to preface this by saying, yeah, uh, take it with a grain of salt. And I, this is kind of one of the things I like to do is take these crazy ass fucking theories that like people throw out there and try to <laughs> and just try to corroborate like any of it. And um, I just find it fun. It's it's hard to talk about this shit in a serious way, but uh, just know that I myself and Garrett even more so <laughs> take this kind of thing with a huge grain of salt but it's fun to try to go through it and corroborate at least some of the details yeah dude i think it's always good to include a caveat like yeah, that because especially... <laughs> I, if you ever watch like a conspiracy show some of the, especially ones like on coast to coast that do call-ins you can hear it in people's voice. They're taking it very seriously. And like certain parts of it, like you have to be able to corroborate some of these things before you get so heated about them, you yeah. know, and act like they're so, oh, this is a hundred percent true. I know it's true. Like we, I don't think that's a healthy way to think about shit like this, but it is really fun to talk about it and try to like, if you really pick through the fucking pepper, you know what I'm saying? You can find the fly shit and you can Wait, find what is that. You've never heard that term picking the fly shit out of the pepper. No. Bro, that must be something in the South. What does that like, mean? If, so like if you were like, just like uh, if you wanted to just like nitpick my personality and like anything that I did oh, or small. all my actions. Yeah. Fly it's like shit finding, yes. Yes. And picking it out of pepper would be extremely difficult. Got so, it. That yeah. makes sense. I like Some it. People say, quit picking the fly shit out of the pepper. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'll use that. That's good. Dude, it makes people smile. It's fun. <laughs> the uh, What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Crazy ass Linda Moulton Howe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Linda Howe. She, okay. I obviously was a fan of your Reddit. Like, I thought that shit was sweet. And I saw your original post on the pyramid supposedly that's like under alaska or in alaska we got that a lot of people would know like at least vaguely that and then you have tom DeLong who like made the comment that it's suppressing consciousness and i know you and i have had like super interesting conversations about what that necessarily means and i'm excited to talk about this because like i feel like it would be a real cool thought experiment if if some of the claims that these people have made are true or if they're even half true, I feel like they're interesting enough for people to really like, uh, I don't know. I feel like it gives us a good shot at understanding our world and like the human condition a little more. Um, so Linda Howe, like you said, like I think she first brought this up in 2012 and she was going on about this guy named Douglas Mutchler or Doug Mutchler. She introduces him as a U.S. Army counterintelligence warrant officer and says that she had him send over his DD-214, like his discharge papers. I think that's the name of the document that you use to, like, verify yeah. that you serve. And uh, she said he's like, I believe she said he sent hard copies of everything, was, like, very transparent and, like, um, open with his information to her. And so far, like... Even based on what I've said, 
none of that makes it true. You know what I mean? Like, it's totally possible that, like, for whatever reason, he might be, like, a liar or whatever. Like, we don't know for sure. I have like to just keep Doty. pounding that. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he, that dude, for he might not be Doug Mushler at all, for all I know. Maybe he's just some guy that's job is to, like, cross up Linda Howe's wires and knows that she's a reporter on this subject, you know? So, like... I, that's something that you have to be cognizant of when you hear these stories from like Collins and whistleblowers and shit is like, um, that's something that made Dave Grush so extraordinary was that he got to talk under oath. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, that's, that's the thing that like your level of discernment, I think has to take into account that like, yeah, this guy writing into Linda Howe, super interesting story. She covered the hell out of it, did a great job. But like at the end of the day, that guy didn't go under oath in front of our Congress and say this, you know, you got to try to corroborate some of the stuff, which is what we try to do. And that's what we're going to get into. So basically what happened was in November 1992, which is about five months after this Chinese uh, nuclear test, um, like underground detonation, there was a news story by Channel 13. I actually looked this up. It was KIMO was Channel 13 back back in 1992. That was was the news station. Uh, Yeah, Channel 13, chemo. In November 1992, this guy, Doug Mushler, was sitting in the orderly room at Fort Richardson uh, with, I guess, 40 other people. And he heard the news report about an underground pyramid uh, between Mount McKinley and Nome, Alaska. He mentioned in the interview that he did with Linda, he looked at um, maps from the Defense Mapping Agency. And there was a section between McKinley and Nome that was whited out. So when he saw that, you know, they had found this, this pyramid... Um, yeah, this news report that they had found this pyramid in between McKinley and Nome. He was like, "Oh, that that was the you know section that was whited out in the in these old maps. I guess they were from like the early 1970s." So the newscast um, usually replays. I guess later in the evening, it it airs at like what eight o'clock, plays again at ten o'clock. So he tried to record it on his VCR um, on the replay. The newscast didn't replay later that night. Uh, so he's like, "What the fuck?" And he went down to the station, I guess, the next day to get a copy of the newscast. And the general manager greeted him uh, after after he had asked about it and said, we would never broadcasted such a story. That That's the quote. Uh, he said he, he knew he was being lied to. And as he was leaving, a uh, technician came over and um, basically told him that it had been broadcast, but that they were told to erase it. That that's kind of the story is that he he had seen this newscast about a pyramid under Alaska. He had kind of connected that to these maps that had certain areas not surveyed between McKinley and Nome. So he thought it was weird, went down to the station. They said they never broadcasted it, but one of the technicians said they had and that they had been told to erase it. That's the Linda Moulton Howe basic story. So that was 1992, November 1992. In 2012, he called Linda Howe, or what was it? He emailed her, right? In 1992. They set up, they, so they were initially, he reached out, emailed, sent DDT 14, whatever. And then the story goes is that 
Linda set up a phone call with Doug Mutchler. I think on Doug Mutchler's end, he thought that Linda was just like ghosting him and he was like kind of sad or whatever. And then Linda on Linda's end, she said that when she set up her studio, she said that I, apparently Mutchler, I think he, she said he was like an older guy and that she wanted to especially double check with him the night before to make sure the phone number was correct. And she said she called, made sure he understood that they're having a phone call the next day and you know what I'm saying? Just like, yeah, she, pre- she called to confirm the night before and yes. that, and the, he did. And then and he, she called, you know, at nine 30 the next morning when they had confirmed. And yes. um, yeah, she got a message from the operator, I guess, saying that the number had been disconnected. Um, yes. And then, yeah, she called multiple times. It said the d- number had been disconnected. She sent an email, got no response. And she, I guess was kind of worried. And then um, I guess two days later, Doug Mushler called asking why, asking why she didn't call for the interview. Um, and I guess he hadn't seen her email, but he'd tried to call and left a voicemail that she never got. The thought there is that there was some sort of uh, government interference trying to get them to not do the interview together. I, I wouldn't even necessarily say government interview. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, all yeah. we know is that they couldn't get a hold of each other. Right. So, like, ascribe. That's why I, like... I don't know, man. I'm really particular with how I say certain shit because like maybe, maybe government, but like, I truly don't know. I don't know who is monitoring that type of activity and why. Well, that was her, that was her suggestion was the government. Got you. Okay. Agreed. That was the main story. Right. And then she got a call from another source. Uh, who had heard, I guess, the interview with Mutchler. He said he was the adopted son of a retired Western electric engineer, and he reached out to her to confirm the basics of uh, Mutchler's claims and to add several new wrinkles. Um, He claimed that his father had worked on a powerful electrical system, you know, during his time that he worked at Western Electric that was emanating from a very large underground pyramid of unknown origin in Alaska between 1959 and 1961. So that was that was the second quote unquote, I guess, indirect witness that um came forward to kind of corroborate Mutchler's claims. It's another, you know, kind of sketchy, not sketchy, but just, you know, hard to verify or corroborate um some of these claims, I guess. It's a good story. It's very interesting. Gives you a couple leads to chase down, which uh, which I try to do because <laughs> uh, this shit is crazy. Anyways, all right. So so that was in 2012. Fast forward to 20, I guess 22, when Tom DeLong did this interview with um, Peer Pleasure Podcast. I'm just gonna read the quote real quick. He uh, he's being interviewed by this guy named Dewey. So when I say Dewey, that's that's the interviewer. Oh, he goes, do you want to hear something crazy about Alaska? And uh, he goes, there's a pyramid and it's underground and they've been studying it for decades. Dewey goes, what? Tom, yeah, it's bigger than Giza. It's not that far from Valdez, I believe. I would have to check on where it's at, but apparently, yeah. And I know a very important person from the Pentagon that met with one of the lead defense contractors who are studying it. And they told him, they said, we think we finally know what it's doing. It's turned on. We think it's suppressing consciousness. That's what he said. So that's where the uh, whole like underground pyramid suppressing consciousness thing is uh, originates. It's from that Tom quote. Uh, Dewey, what the hell? Tom, fucking wild, I know. Wild, right? 
Dewey. Did they discover this? Probably, of course they did after that giant earthquake. Tom, you know, I don't know. They saw this whole anomaly, uh, like shockwaves went through the land and there was some kind of structure or something that perturbed on the receiving end of these waves. So they dug some tunnels, elevator shafts, made a little strip there to land, and they've been underground studying it forever. That's how the legend is. The news did make a little piece on it, then all of a sudden that shit disappeared. The people at the station said all these guys came in and said never air this again. But on the deathbed of a couple people that were out there, they said they were very aware of it, I think, in the beginning. Fuck, if I remember correctly, it was someone who worked for like Bell Labs. Maybe it was a precursor to AT&T or something like that. I can't remember. I don't want to get too fucked up because then people hang on to my every word when I talk about shit like this. <laughs> so the only thing I want to say is, yes, there's a pyramid and we've been studying it. And I pretty much just said all I know about it. So, um, yeah, that's that's Tom's quote on it. And I think he I think the main point he made that was distinct to him, you know, his his main contribution to that story is that it's, you know, he talked to a Pentagon official who was in, involved with a contractor who said that. There's a pyramid, it's turned on, and it's suppressing consciousness. That's where shit gets weird. I mean, the whole fucking story is weird as shit, but <laughs> that's, uh, you know, uh, when I saw this in his movie, Monsters of California, you know, the coordinates he put in there, I'm like, okay. So this wasn't a one-off. This is something that he's actually putting out there as a breadcrumb for people to kind of go look into. Yeah, bro, this one's fucking, it's very hard to corroborate. It's it's <laughs> like... Uh, Dude, you know that I wanted to add, though, there's like another part of what Linda House said about this. Yeah. Um, and the one that I was watching, she was saying that uh, she appears to think that there's potentially more underground pyramids, quote unquote. And she was like describing how there's possibly like a network of pyramids like on the exterior of the earth and maybe potentially different depths down beneath the earth. And she was equating them to like keys on a piano when it came to like tuning our consciousness, if that makes sense. Like all of yeah. them have their own little effect that like sways consciousness one way or the other. Um, but the concerning thing was like, she speculated about like if they were made of basalt and if you listen to the Antarctica episode, she thinks that there's octagons, basalt octagons in Antarctica that like uh, she was like speculating that those might be related to each other. And that kind of just like put a pit in my stomach because like the whole idea behind that was like that those octagons were 34 million years old. I think the number she gave was that just implies uh probably non-human intelligence if true you know what i'm saying in terms of like spectacular claims that's about as spectacular as you can get after that came out that interview with tom i you know took it and transcribed that part and put it on reddit and uh there was actually a comment that someone replied with um you know it's reddit so again grain of salt but uh i thought it was really interesting this dude was talking about his buddy who, uh, I, let me just read it real quick and, and tell me what you think. So yeah, this guy read Tom's quote and then he responded with this. Uh, I kind of got chills reading what he said. One of my best friends that grew up with me in SoCal moved to Alaska when we were 20. He was down on his luck and had family up there. When he got there, 
He got a job for the state, picking up homeless people and taking them to the shelters when it got too cold outside, if I remember. While working for the state, he was told of an opportunity to work for the federal government. He took the job. I had letters he wrote me back then before the internet. He was told that he was going to be guarding a facility that was only accessible via plane and that he would be gone for three months at a time with one week breaks at home. When he was flown in and out, the planes had no windows and they flew in a very odd course. He's now a trained pilot and was training then, so he always thought the flight paths seemed odd. He worked 12 on, 12 off with one other guy that he was not allowed to have contact with. He said he was told to alert his higher-ups if anyone should happen to come near the place. He did one year there, and then he was fired without any reason given. They paid him six months' pay to just go away, and he gladly did. This was in the very early 2000s. I remember him telling me the entire year he never saw another person come or go from the place. He didn't ever claim to see anything but trees and rough landscape. He did find it odd that he never encountered any bears, mice, or wolves. I always told him that he was working for the MIBs, and he just laughed. I'm just putting this out there as it was always a mystery what he was guarding. Maybe this could be it. Just my two cents. Not claiming anything, but Tom's story made me think of this instantly. Uh, and then he followed up with another comment where he actually hit up that friend. And um, he did confirm the story and does feel now that he could have been guarding something like an entrance to a complex. He said the only thing he ever saw was a bunker-like door way off in a wooded area he was guarding. This could have been a missile silo or an underground pyramid, but I thought it was interesting and worth adding. I'll tell you what, dude, I have been duped by Reddit LARPs. <laughs> Me too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have to be honest. Like, I and, always ignore uh, Reddit LARPs. Yeah, yeah dude. That shit. I, uh, but, um, I have been duped bad. I don't want to admit to them. People can figure them out on their own. But I was like, uh, yeah, there's a couple. If you really are in that, in that feet, like, uh, if if that's one of the Reddit's threads that you frequent is uh like our UFOs, right? That is like a hotbed of that shit. A lot of them, they're great posts. They're like great, like fan fictions almost is the way I describe yeah, it. I'm not, I'm not, that. and I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on that post or that guy. I haven't researched that at all. And I I don't know. So I that's my opinion on that one. But I'm just making the point. I have been tricked by Reddit LARPs. And like uh I I feel like a lot of them almost sound like AI if you ask Chat GPT and told it about all these other like anecdotal facts that people like famous stories include it strengthens the new story that the bot will like pump out for you if that makes sense yeah no i get that uh, for um i get that for like main posts but this was like this was a reply to a reply to a reply and it's there's a bunch of typos and it's just i don't know oh shit um it's not (laughs) yeah it does not look like ai to me um interesting yeah, yeah this is, I don't uh, know. I would have to send it, it just, to me. It really seems like someone just like off the cuff, like, oh shit, like that's that reminded me of this. But um yeah, it has like 14 upvotes. It's not like it's not like someone was <laughs> trying to uh, trying to get famous or anything like that. it's not like the 4chan whistleblower thing. It's just some guy responding. So I don't know, man. I don't know if it could be could be a LARP, but I just found that interesting to share. So let's Kind of get into a little more um, concrete corroboration. When some of this stuff could have could have happened, like when when they would have been digging and might have found this thing uh, if it did exist. So I, I I took what what the second source said and 
you know, there were some specifics in there where the guy corroborated some of Mushler's claims. And um, he said he was the son of a retired Western Electric engineer. He, he worked for Western Electric and worked on a pyramid of unknown origin in Alaska between 1959 and 1961. So I went and looked up Western Electric and what they were up to around that time. The, the company Western Electric was obviously like a massive company. So in 1952, um, Western Electric was working on the precursor to uh, the distant early warning uh, line. And that was a line of radars that was set up across Alaska and Canada to detect Soviet aircraft that, that were going to come over from the north. So they wanted to make a, a line of radar systems from yeah, Alaska to you know the other side of Canada on the east. The precursor to that it was called Project 572. So I'm just going to read from this book. It's about the dew line. It's called Dew Line, Distant Early Warning, The Miracle of America's First Line of Defense. With this clearance to the Air Force, the Bell System was then asked to undertake the full responsibility of the primary contractor for engineering, construction, and installation and operation of a chain of radar and communication stations on Alaska's northern coast and have them functioning within a year. It was also proposed, quote, make preliminary surveys of a route across the Arctic, assess the logistic and construction problems involved in creating the complete line and develop techniques for their solution. Uh, there in one sentence is probably the greatest single construction order ever issued. The Bell system accepted the assignment and Western Electric was given the job. Western Electric started a new file and headed it Project 572. These men, Western Electric, the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, contractors and suppliers had done what couldn't be done and finished it in just under a year. It was a magnificent achievement. So basically, it was Western Electric was the only was the only company that was working on this in 1952 with the Air Force heading it up. And it, this was all done kind of on the coast of Alaska. So I don't know. I just found that that history of of their involvement in Alaska to be very interesting and a worthwhile rabbit hole. Maybe we should mention the uh, remote viewers and what they've said about Alaska, because that's interesting, too. And then I, I got. All right. Let me do one more thing. That's that's going to cement this a little a little. more. OK, cool. A major aspect of this in both what Linda said and what Tom said was about the the nuclear detonation in China. You're talking about how they said that there was like the Chinese were detonating yeah. a nuclear bomb underground. And that's like for sure a fact that like did happen that it did that in 1992 or whatever. That was like we know that happened. Yes. The, the, what I understand is they said like our I think the term they used was seismographs. Basically, my dummy understanding of it is that they, when the fucking Chinese people detonated the nuclear bomb, our scientists in America either used that opportunity to study like what was there or their equipment just happened to understand. Fuck, I sound so dumb. I'm trying to like... Yeah, so what happened they was... The, they shook the ground and we saw the <laughs> fucking thing. That's what I want. <laughs> All right, so that's kind of the, the whole idea of the news story was that, yeah, China set off this bomb and it showed some sort of structure. And so that happened in November 1992, right? One of the people on Linda Howe's show 
who I, I think he was a geologist, he basically said, um, you know, that you wouldn't be able to detect something in Alaska if if the seismograph went through thousands of miles of crust. And, um, you know, it would just be noise, basically. There's something that, so that happened in 1992, right? The, the news story. In 1993, and I don't think anyone has really talked about this. At least I couldn't find anything on like Linda Howe's show or like within her, yeah, just basically talking about it. But uh, in 1993, there was a study done by the yeah, U.S. Geological Survey, um, and they even published it, like a story on it in the New York Times. So it says a powerful nu nuclear explosion in China last year has opened a window into the Earth's deep interior, revealing intriguing and hitherto unknown geological details. An underground explosion at the Lopnor Test Range in western China on May 21st was the most powerful nuclear explosion in a decade. Uh, the, the explosion sent a pulse of seismic energy reverberating through the Earth. The jolt which passed through the Earth's mantle and grazed the Earth's core at a point under Alaska was recorded by 1,062 sensitive seismometers scattered around Canada and the United States. In a report today in the journal Nature, scientists say that seismic waves from the explosion have revealed the presence of an object roughly the area and thickness of a mountain range about 2,000 miles beneath the Earth's surface. Geologists regard the discovery as highly significant because it is the first time a feature this small, possibly at 200 miles across, has ever been detected at such an enormous depth. Um, the object may have a different temperature and crystalline form from the matter in which it is embedded. Whatever it is, seismic waves pass through it faster than they do through nearby material. Is that the end of that quote? Or the end of that? Seismic? Like, what you no. <laughs> uh, dude, uh, dude, so they fucking found it. They, they saw it. <laughs> They saw something. What so the is, fuck? Yeah, dude. So this is where it gets crazy. And I'm, I can't believe like no one's fucking talked about this.